You're listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores how Jesus' vision for our lives creates a people and a place we want to be a part of. And now, here's today's message. Good morning. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 55 in its entirety. Isaiah chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown and for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you so much, Adam. This is indeed the word of the Lord. I trust you heard the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, Let's pay attention to it as we spend our time together. It is my honor and privilege to lead us in the first two lessons of this three-part mini-series that we're calling Need to Know. The purpose of this series is to explore and highlight scriptures and concepts that we believe are significantly helpful to us as we together seek to pursue what it looks like to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. Admittedly, the choice of what is a need to know item is somewhat subjective. For Scott and for me, who will be leading these three services, these are, if you like, some of what we see as the highlight reels of Scripture. These are some of the words that jump out at us and catch our attention because they vividly portray some aspect of what it looks like 
to grow in our understanding of God and his ways in the world, and also to grow in our understanding of how we can live into the life which God calls us to. Well, a few weeks ago, when I was invited to participate in this Need to Know mini-series, almost immediately my mind went to the prophet Isaiah. This book of Isaiah has been a companion to me over many decades of preaching and has breathed life into my own understanding of God and who he is and how he works in the world. Last week, Sean, our pastor, referred to his 25-year-old self. I will also refer to my 25-year-old self, but hasten to acknowledge that mine occurred a solid decade and a half before his. Mine was back in the day before the invention of cellular telephones and before the proliferation of personal computers. Way back then, in that much simpler time, I preached one of my first handwritten sermons on Isaiah chapter 40. It was amazing. I can't honestly say what those poor listeners learned from my early attempts at preaching But I can say that through the discipline of studying and preaching Isaiah chapter 40, I learned some profound truths about God. Two in particular. One is I learned about the infinite glory and majesty, the infinite power of God, and how he holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hands, and how he flings the stars into space and calls each one of them by name. But not only is he out there and big and powerful, Isaiah chapter 40 also reveals to us that God is a God who has a beautiful compassion. And that he's not only out there, but he's close to us. And he's particularly close to people who are weary, people who are in trouble, people who need, need strength. And there's a promise at the end of Isaiah chapter 40 that those who hope in this God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So he's not only out there and powerful, but he is specifically available to every person who turns to him for help. Well, fast forward 25 years or so, and many of you know my story, some of my story, that my first wife, Barb, passed away at the age of 49. And when that happened, those were dark days of grief for me. It was a very stormy season of life. And in the ensuing years, as I sought to tell the story of my grief, I found Isaiah chapter 43 as a strong companion. Because there, in those words, I found God speaking his deep and intensely personal love for his people, Israel. And as God was speaking these words to Israel, I felt them coming to me. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then these incredibly intimate words from God to his people, you are precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. And these words of God spoke words of comfort to me, as I hope they do to you this morning. 
I share this with you to illustrate that for me, the prophet Isaiah has given me language that has stretched and grown my understanding of who God is and what he's done. And so now this morning, I invite you to turn with me to this passage that was read to us today, Isaiah chapter 55, which we'll pay attention to this week. Next week, we will jump into Isaiah chapter 58. So as we turn our attention to the word, please join me in praying that God will open our hearts to receive his word. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of this prophet Isaiah. Lord, as we pay attention, I pray that you will speak. Holy Spirit of God, please be our teacher. Open our ears and open our hearts to respond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These two chapters that we're looking at in these two weeks may be summarized in a single word, I believe, a one word each. Isaiah chapter 55, I would call the word invitation. Invitation. Isaiah chapter 58, I would call challenge. Invitation and challenge, invitation and challenge. As we think about these two words, let's step back and look, step back from these two chapters and think, think with me about the whole storyline of scripture. Because I believe that if we look at these two words, invitation and challenge, we can make a case for suggesting that these two words represent in broad strokes what I would call the cadence or the rhythm of scripture. If we believe, and I hope you believe, that the Bible is a single united story with Jesus as its main character, then we can look, for example, at one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3.16, as a summary statement of the whole story. You know how it goes. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? but have eternal life. This is the biblical story in a nutshell. This John 3.16 is a merciful, loving invitation from God to broken and sinful humans to believe and to receive the gift of resurrection life only because of the life and the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And viewed in this way, the Bible is then... In its essence, a love story. And as we read through the story of scripture, what we find is peppered through its pages. We we find this God who is a God of love repeatedly inviting sinful humans back into relationship with himself. His desire, as we discover in the writings of Peter, way up towards the end of the Bible in 2 Peter chapter 3, God's desire is this. God's desire for people in the world is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so, as we look through the story of the Bible, we we see these repeated invitations that reveal to us a heart of a loving God towards us, who are so often selfish and rebellious people. Isaiah 55 is one of those invitations. But we also notice reading in scripture that alongside of the language of, script, of invitation, there's also the language of challenge, the language of warning, 
Next week, we're going to look more specifically at that when we look at Isaiah 58. But let me give just a little bit of a teaser for you. I would propose to you that most of the warning passages of Scripture, most of the challenge passages of Scripture, can be fit under a broad heading of some of the words that Jesus spoke when he talked about money. Do you remember what Jesus said when he spoke about money? Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, no one can serve two masters. So the warning passages of scripture come to us under that heading, no one can serve two masters. I believe Jesus said that because he knows our hearts and he knows that a typical human condition is something like this. If we're religious at all, we want to be just religious enough so that God will accept me into his kingdom on the day of judgment. But on the other hand, don't get too fanatical about it. I mean, I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to be able to make my own decisions about how I live my life. A guy's got to have some fun and live a little. But these warning passages of scripture come to us very strongly. And they say to us, in order to find life, we have to lose it. Because we can't live with a foot in both worlds. And I would further suggest that the reason that we think we can, we, can, we can do this on our own, the way we think, that the reason that we think we can, we can make our own plans and they will be better than God's plans is because we don't grasp passages like Isaiah 55. We don't really grasp the, the majestic beauty of the invitation passages of Scripture. And so it's my intent this morning to have us look together at the invitational words of Isaiah 55 and what an amazing invitation is, is in, these, in, in these verses. At its heart, at its heart, I would call in this chapter of Isaiah an invitation to fullness of life. An invitation to fullness of life. Of life. In fact, probably we could say that's the case for all of the invitational languages, uh, passages of Scripture. You remember Jesus in John chapter 10, he was talking in that context about him being the good shepherd and us being the sheep. How the sheep hear his voice and know his voice. Do you remember what Jesus said? I have come so that they could have life and have it how? Have it abundantly, right? This is the promise of Jesus. This is the invitation of Jesus is to come to this life to the full, this fullness of life. This is an invitation for us to experience life as God originally purposed life to be. Well, true confession. Over the past week and more, as I have wrestled with this passage of of Isaiah 55 and how I've sought to to come to grips with how to, to lead us to catch a glimpse of the beauty and the riches of the words that are before us, uh, I've struggled to know how to get it down into a sizable chunk. The, 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 the wording is so strong and it stretches out across the whole language of scripture. It's an amazing invitation. And so at the beginning, I want to acknowledge we're not going to get to the whole of Isaiah 55. And it's my invitation to you to spend time this coming week reading it, absorbing it, letting it sink into your soul. So acknowledging that we can't look at every detail in the chapter, I suggest we take three snapshots of this invitation. The first snapshot I'm going to call the original invitation, 
The second snapshot I'm gonna call the direction of the invitation. And the third one I wanna call the extravagance of the invitation. Let's try to walk through these quickly. First of all, the original invitation. It is important for us to note that these words are written at a particular point in history. And they're applicable to a certain situation in history. And the situation is this. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, have been persistently rebellious. If you read through the story of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you you realize the depth of the rebellion of the people of God in those days under many kings who were very, very corrupt. And at the end of the time, God simply brings down his judgment and sends them off into exile in Babylon. And so no longer are they in the land of promise. Now they're exiled in the land of Babylon and they've been there for 70 years or so. Authority has changed. It's, the authority is now under the, the, the Persian empire and King Darius is the leader. And King Darius is now releasing the people of God from that place of bondage and sending them back so that they can re-enter the land of promise, the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. And as they return... Isaiah chapter 55 is written to them in this time as they are returning to the land of promise. And it's almost like God is saying this to the people. People, you've been, you've been banished from my presence because of your sin and, equal, and, and pride and rebellion. Now you're returning to the land of promise. I am begging you, don't just return as if it's a geographical change. Don't just return from setting up house in Babylon to setting up house in Israel. Isaiah 55, in Isaiah 55, God is reaching out to his people and passionately inviting, return to me with all of your hearts. Return to me, come and feast at my banqueting table. Come enjoy the richness of relationship with me because I love you, you are my people. Come and enjoy the riches of relationship with me. I want you to experience fullness of life as you come back to the land of promise. So repent as you return, and return to the relationship, not just to the location. Well, as we read through the history of the Bible, what do we discover? If you read the books of Isaiah, and, or rather Ezra, rather, and Nehemiah, uh, these books describe what happens as the people are returning and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And what we find is that some of these words spoken in Isaiah 55 come true. Nehemiah chapter 8 is a, is a really a bright spot in the whole story of the people coming back to Israel. Nehemiah chapter 8 is a story of how these people had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and then suddenly the book of the law has been rediscovered. They haven't been reading or paying attention to God's words to them for decades. And now the book of the law has been rediscovered, and they find this language about how God established all these feasts. God invited his people to have feasts and enjoy his presence. They'd completely ignored that for so long. And now they've discovered this language, and it's a very emotional situation as the people rediscover these feasts that have been established by God, feasts of relationship. Nehemiah chapter 8 tells the story of Nehemiah reestablishing, in particular, what we call the Feast of Booths. Listen to the language of Nehemiah as he speaks to the people and he says, go and enjoy food and sweet drinks 
and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve. And get this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Come, enjoy this this feast in the presence of God. And then Nehemiah describes, all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is, in part, a fulfillment of of this invitation of Isaiah 55. Come to the banqueting table, God had said, and here they were celebrating with great joy. But sadly, as we read on in the story, we realize that their obedience leading to joy is pretty short-lived. The people yet again become distracted and turn again from worshiping God to worshiping false gods. They turn from a place of surrender to the ways of God to blatantly following their own passions and self-centered lusts. Trouble ensues. What do we learn from this development in the story? We learn this. We learn that the human heart is bent toward evil. It always is. It's true of us. It was true of them. Later on in Isaiah, we find these words. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind... Uh, And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. What we learn from this story, the development in this story, is that what we need is more than just an invitation. What we people needed was a savior, a rescuer, and a redeemer. And so in the center point of the Bible, in the fullness of time, Jesus comes into the world and fulfills everything in every way. He is God become human. He is the true human who submits to God in every way to the Father and enjoys this sweet communion with him all the time. Jesus is also the true temple, the dwelling place of God on earth. And he is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus This Jesus, and listen carefully to what I believe Jesus does. We're looking at this invitation of Isaiah 55, which is an invitation to come to this banquet and enjoy this time with God, enjoy the richest affair. Jesus takes this invitation and personalizes it and universalizes it. Listen carefully. He personalizes it by saying, Isaiah 55 invites us to the banquet, right? To enjoy this this amazing banquet in God's presence. And Jesus says, I am the true bread, right? I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. Eat of me and live. He's personalizing this invitation from Isaiah 55 and saying, I am the fulfillment. Come to me and eat. He also universalizes it by equipping his, and sending his friends with the invitation to restore relationship with God to all the nations of the world. As he says, go, go make disciples of all the nations. Today, my friends, we have the immense privilege to look back at Isaiah 55 through the story of Jesus from our privileged point in history. We are the recipients of the gift of new life through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we can view this language of invitation of Isaiah 55 with fresh eyes. Let's take a quick look at our second snapshot. That's the, what I would call the direction of the invitation. What is the direction of the invitation? Let's ask some questions about this text. Who is speaking as the chapter opens? Who is speaking? It's God who is speaking, right? It's God who is speaking. And who is he speaking to? He's speaking to these, these 
these exiles who were on their way back. He's speaking to people who are still broken and still sinful, still sinful, and he's inviting them to come back. What is the direction that he's calling them? What's the repeated, most often repeated word in these first verses? It's come, right? Come, 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 come. Come to the banquet table. Eat what is good. Delight in the richest affair. And here they are, these broken, still sinful people, and here's the holy God, and he's inviting them to come. How is this even possible? Imagine with me the history and direction of relationship between God and his people. Come with me very quickly to the very first chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What's the picture of the relationship between God and humans? After God creates Adam and Eve and places them in the garden, the picture there is is a picture of intimacy of relationship. God and people are close. God comes and he walks with them in the cool of the day in the garden. It's an intimate relationship. But what what do the people do? What do Adam and Eve do? Under the influence of the tempter and by reason of their own actions, they choose independence from God. They say, we don't want to live life as you are instructing us to live. We want to reach out and take life for our own. We, we want to decide what's right and what's wrong. We don't want you telling us what's right and what's wrong. And what happens when they do that? They are separated from God, right? So what's the language here? It's not come, it's go, right? And humans are separated from God because of evil. And this is the, this is the nature of human life. Now we are separated from God because of evil. The sinfulness of man cannot exist in the presence of a holy and all-powerful God. But you know what happens? That's Genesis chapter three. That's like right near the beginning of the story. Do you know what the whole rest of the story of the Bible is about? It's about God initiating and putting into action a plan for rescue and redemption and restoration of these people who have rejected him, these people who, who are now separated from him. And why does he do that? Because he loves you, he loves me. He loves all of the people that he has created. Early in, the, early in the story before Jesus comes, that plan of rescue and restoration included this elaborate system of sacrifices and priests and tabernacle. That was never intended to be the final system, but it pointed towards what would be. But what it allowed in that season was the people to come close to God because God came and lived in the tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle had that most holy place? God was living near his people. He wanted to be near his people. He wanted them to come, but sacrifice was necessary in order for them to come close. Sacrifice was necessary. Well, in the fullness of time, of course, the center of the story is Jesus, and he comes into the world as the ultimate sacrifice, offers his own body, and offers on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. And so now this invitation come is fully open to anyone who will come and believe and receive. Listen to how Isaiah, back in our chapter of Isaiah 55, expresses this invitation. He says it this way, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. And listen to the directional language here. Let them turn, let them turn to the Lord, for he will have mercy on them and to our God, and he will freely pardon. Amazing invitation. If you are here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, Isaiah wants you to know that God is urgently inviting you to come. 
to come to this place of free pardon. It's only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But he invites you to come to a banquet where you are invited to enjoy the richest affair. Come, receive forgiveness and wholeness and fullness of life. We urge you to respond to that invitation this morning. We'd love to talk to you if you have questions about that. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you hear the language of Isaiah 55 talking about fullness of life. Perhaps your experience might be the opposite of that. Maybe life feels empty. Maybe life feels conflicted. Uh, This invitation comes to you and to me as well. God loves you more than you can imagine and longs for you to feast at his table with him. In order to get a picture of what that looks like, let's briefly look at the final snapshot to get a, a glimpse of this extravagant language used with this invitation. There are several places we could go, but I'd like to focus our camera lens, as it were, on verse 12. Look at these words. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. How would you paraphrase this verse in your own words, I wonder? What's the picture that's being described here? What kind of life is being described? You shall go out with joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This is a life that is so deeply characterized by joy and peace that everyone and everything around this life celebrates the goodness of God. Joy and peace. Both of these words are broad and deep in scripture. Joy includes mirth, gladness, joy, gaiety, pleasure, according to the the Bible dictionary. Peace is this great word, shalom, which is also a very broad word. Completeness, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, quiet, tranquility, contentment, friendship. These are words, my friends, that describe God's desire for, for you to experience. This is fullness of life. So then we we turn the camera in on ourselves and we evaluate our own life experience at this particular point in time. And how would you honestly evaluate your life and what you're experiencing right now in comparison with this description? Joy and peace. The extravagance of this language is evident as we realize that we're invited to experience this kind of joy and peace. And listen to this, no matter what the circumstances of our lives might be. I believe that this joy and peace, like ballast in the belly of a ship, may give our lives stability and keep us on course, even when the storms of life are battering us. These words come to us as promises in scripture, invitations. Let me read some words from Jesus 
about this kind of peace and joy. Listen to the language of Jesus. This is the language of Jesus just before he went to the cross. He's speaking to his closest friends in that upper room discourse, if you know, towards the end of the Gospel of John. John 16, 33, listen to these amazing words. Jesus says to his friends, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In another place, John 14, 27, Jesus says very similar words, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Isn't that amazing? My peace I give to you. I have told you this in John 15, 11, not only peace, but John, John 15, 11 tells us, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. We don't have time to explore the many practical ways in which we, we would seek to experience this peace and joy, the way to receive these gifts into our lives. But let me make this one observation. I'm becoming more and more convinced as I get older that the key to experiencing joy in the midst of troubling circumstances in our lives, the midst of uncertainty, the midst of grief, the midst of pain, the key to experiencing the kind of joy and peace that Jesus promises us, the key is in keeping the big picture of what God is up to in view and in perspective. To the extent I believe that I am able to have confidence in the big picture that God is unmistakably moving history forward towards that day of the new heavens and the new earth, that day of no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, the old order of things has passed away. To the extent that I am confident that this is what God is doing in the world, this is what God is doing in my life, even in the midst of the storms that I'm experiencing, to that extent I will experience joy and peace as ballasts in the sailboat of my life, even when the storms are raging above. It's my prayer this morning that we might help each other to regain such a perspective. We walk through these very difficult seasons of life, and I want to suggest to you that receiving this joy and peace from God does not minimize grief. It does not minimize the pain that we experience. But what it does, it takes it and puts it in a much larger context. And in that much larger context, we find this joy and peace that Jesus promises us. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back now, please. I'd like to close with a quote that's become quite well known, a quote from C.S. Lewis. These words come from a sermon or a lecture that C.S. Lewis preached or spoke uh, called The Weight of Glory. And he's talking in this, in this speech about how Jesus' teaching on self-denial is real, but this teach, Jesus' teaching on self-denial, he says, is never an end in itself. He says this, we're told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. It contains this invitation of the beautiful life to which Jesus is inviting us. And so this is the quote that's become quite well known. 
T.S. Lewis writes this, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, and I would add in all of the invitational language of scripture, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when, listen to this, infinite joy is offered us. Infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My dear friends, it is my prayer this morning that you will know and feel this morning the extent of God's love for you no matter what the circumstances of your life might be, that you would receive the invitation of Isaiah 55 and that you would come to the banqueting table that God has for you and that you would experience even now, even today, the richest of fare as we celebrate the goodness of God together as God's people and that there you would be able to find and go out in peace and go out with true joy. King David wrestled with some of these same issues. I love the way he finishes Psalm 16. Psalm 1611, he says this, God, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's heart for you. This is God's invitation for all of us to come and experience fullness of life. I pray it may be so. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. 